two, three, two. Yeah. But tonight, uh, let's let's not uh, let's not dilly dally around. But let's turn into our Bibles as we go to the book of Hosea, chapter thirteen. The book of Hosea, chapter thirteen. Shall we all stand, please? And I want to thank you all for your hospitality, your warm friendliness. You all have been so kind and friendly to me, and I'm thankful to God for you. In the book of Hosea, chapter 13, and we'll continue on to chapter 14. I'm reading from verse 15. It says, Though he be fruitful among his brethren, an east wind shall come, the wind of the Lord shall come up from the wilderness, and his spring shall become dry, and his fountain shall be dried up. He shall spoil the treasure of all pleasant vessels. Samaria shall become desolate, for she had rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword. Their infants shall be dashed in pieces, and their women with child shall be ripped up. O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. Take with you words, and turn to the Lord, say unto him, Take away all iniquity, and receive us graciously. So will we render the calves of our lips. Asher shall not save us. We will not ride upon horses, neither will we say any more to the work of his hands. You are our gods, for in thee the fatherless findeth mercy. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for mine anger is turned away from him. Our gracious God, we thank you, God, for your word. It is truly a blessing, O God, to be able to have your word, so that today, O God, we can delve into it, Lord, we can... Seek to see what your Holy Spirit has for us from it, O God. I pray, God, tonight, Lord, for unction, Lord, to minister your word. You were the one who had me prepare the sermon this morning, O God. And I know, God, it is for someone's benefit here tonight, Lord. I pray, God and Father, Lord, that you would speak to the hearts of your people, Lord. And to those, O God, who might be neither hot nor cold, O God, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, that you would speak to their hearts, O Lord. For those who might be unsaved, O oh Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that it be pleasing to you, O oh God, to save a soul tonight. We commend all to thee in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may have your seats, please. Adam Clark, in his commentary on the Bible, he says about chapter 14 of Hosea, he says, By the terrible denunciation of vengeance, which concludes the preceding chapter, which is chapter 13, the prophet is led to exhort Israel to repentance, furnishing them with a beautiful form of prayer, very suitable to the occasion. As we see that prayer in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 14. Upon which God, ever ready to pardon the penitent by these promises, are confined to those who may bring forth the fruits of righteousness, and the wicked are declared to have no share in them. We know as the nation Israel was, it was customary with them. They had forsaken God and they had gone into idolatry. And as you study your Bible, you see that this was a repeated cycle with them. They would backslide into idolatry. 
they will be punished by God. Then there will be repentance. Then there will be forgiveness. They will get blessings. And then they go back again into the same cycle. And this has been going on for all the time. God had unleashed His wrath upon them because of His love for them. He now was saying that He will heal their backsliding. He would love them freely for His anger had turned away from them. And this was directed to the nation Israel, I know, as recorded here. But we do acknowledge that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, that it is profitable for doctrine, it is profitable for correction, for reproof. It is important for us to understand that all scripture is like that. And the purpose for it is that we, God's people, will be complete, will be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, I would like to take this portion of scripture that we see God dealing with the nation Israel and apply it on a more personal basis upon ourselves as people who are members of the Lord's churches. The subject of backsliding is very needful because backsliding is real. And many of the believers sometimes are in such a condition but they fail to see that they are. Hence, there is no recognition of the need for spiritual healing through repentance and a real commitment to our God. And this can clearly be seen today if we take a look at present-day Christianity. We can see the acceptance of the counterfeit substitute for worship today. Within our churches sometimes we see that people today, they are satisfied with the dregs of worship rather than real worship. They're settling for a counterfeit. We know this would happen. Paul wrote to Timothy in Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. He says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. Now, there is an apparent complacency about this, this sort of, Falling away. We have, we have sort of accepted this as the norm in our churches sometimes. We have fallen into a routine. And church has become today a Sunday morning thing for most professing Christians. It is a Sunday morning thing. A Christian who is not backslidden generally is always there when the doors of the church are open. Unless they are providentially hindered. Why? Because there is a thirsting as a heart panted after the brook. There is a thirst within every Christian that when the doors of the church is open, that they would like to be there to give God the honor and the glory and to find kind and loving fellowship one with another. And that is what being a Christian is all about. But today, people are satisfying themselves with just walking into the church, listening to a 20-minute sermon, walking out of the church, and that is good until next week Sunday. That's not what God ordained. That is not what God wants for His people to be like. And there is a form of backsliding condition that a lot of Christians are, they are in that state. And many of them do not even realize that they are in a backsliding condition. Now it's only a Christian who can backslide. An unsafe person cannot backslide. So if this message, by the way, this was not the sermon I had intended to preach tonight. 
God just led me into this this morning, and I'm sure that there's someone here who needs this sermon. First of, the, first of all, I'd like to share with you what is backsliding. As we look at the definition of backsliding, Webster says that it is the act of apostatizing from faith or practice. It is a falling insensibly from religion into sin or idolatry. He also describes it as leaving a point of spirituality for a lesser point of spirituality. And then he, the third description he has for it is, it is a downhill departure. You and I, I'm sure, would agree that if you're at the top of the mountain, when you leave there, the only place you can go is downhill. And when you are in a backslidden condition, that is where you're heading. And sometimes you never, it is such a gradual process that you never realize where you, when you have hit rock bottom until you are faced with the reality that, hey, I am at rock bottom now. You wouldn't understand that. But it's a real thing. There is a, there's a, a type of backsliding. We find backsliding within our pews. Backsliding of church members. How can we describe that? We can describe that, first of all, as walking away from our first love. We have an example in the book of Revelation in chapter 2 about the church at Ephesus. Jesus, our Lord, had given this letter to John and he said, write this, this letter to them. He says, I know thy works and thy labor. Look at the church now, the church at Ephesus. I know thy works. They were a working church and thy labor and thy patience. And how thou, thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say the apostles and are not. And hast found them last. And hast borne and hast patience. And for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, in spite of all of these, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Because thou hast left thy first love. You have walked away from your first love. Can you remember the day the Lord saved you? I can remember that day clearly in 1979. That Tuesday night when the Spirit of God worked in my heart. That night I, 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 I saw myself for who I really was. And the joy that filled my soul as an uneducated Christian then. I didn't know anything. But when the Lord saved me, there was such a joy in my heart. And I tell you something, sometimes I have been away from that joy several times. But every time I remember that joy, it sort of draws me back. It is important to remember when the Lord saved you, what it is like. What about today? Your Christian life today. Is it like when God had just saved you? Do you still have that love for God that you had when you dropped everything and God came first in your life? Does He hold that position in your life now? No, we walk away from God. Many of us just walk away, willfully walking away. God did not walk away from us, you know. He, in this letter he said, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. You are the one who have walked away from me. Beloved brethren, it's a sad place to be. Backsliding for Christians. It is a walking away from God. It is also a turning away from God. In 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 9 it says, And the Lord was angry with Solomon, because his heart 
that is Solomon's heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice. Solomon was warned by God not to go after strange women, for they will turn his heart away from God. They would turn him unto strange idols. And this they had done. And God was angry with Solomon. Backsliding is a turning away from God sometimes. What of you, beloved brethren? Have your hearts turned from God? Or is it turning from God? You may not be aware of it, but to turn away from implies that you're turning towards something else. Have you been serving God as you should? If not, what is stopping you? What is keeping you from serving the Lord as you should? Have you turned to your self-will? You say to yourself, look, I just can't take this Christian thing. Or I can't, I can't take all that is required of me to be a, a good Christian. So I will go to church when I want. I'll pick up my Bible if I want. I'll pray if I want. Beloved brethren, that's not the way. The Bible tells us there's a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. If you turn away from God, have you turned to your own self-will? Have you turned to materialism? Now I know your job is important. Your family commitments is important. Your needs are important. But sometimes we turn away from God seeking to grab everything that we can grab. And we give God the leftovers of our lives on a Sunday morning perhaps. And that's it. The Bible tells us very clearly in Mark 8.36 What shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and then suffer the loss of his own soul? Have you turned to the God of recreation? Have you turned away from God to the God of recreation? I know lots of us... Uh, we love to be entertained. I love to fish. I love fishing. There are some of you I'm sure love golfing. You love hunting and so forth. Some of you ladies like to have a night out with your friends, the girls and so forth. Some of you young people like to have a night out with friends. And nothing is wrong with these things, you know. But if these things comes at the expense of your Christian life, then something is wrong with it. Your Christian life is very important to be maintained. There is nothing that is more important to a Christian than their integrity. Your Christian integrity should be the most important thing to you in your life. And when we turn away from God, beloved brethren, we are not understand, we are, we, we are not, we are not being the Christians that we are to be or that we ought to be. Sometimes, beloved, we turn away from God unto a form of religion. Turning away from God and creating a God of our own imaginations. A God who would understand our inability to control our anger. A God who would understand our thirst for pornography. A God who would understand our hunger for wanting to be the best, and that is being fueled by our pride, we create a God who understands our lack of enthusiasm about spiritual things. This is the world in which we are living in. God is not the God of your mind. 
God has revealed himself to us in his word. And he tells you how he wants your worship. He tells you why he wants your worship. He tells you everything, everything you need to know about your Christian life. It's in the book. So therefore, we cannot afford to walk away from the things of God. We cannot afford to walk away from God. If as a member of this church, you have turned away from God, you have left your first love, (coughs) excuse me, you have created a God unto your own imagination, if as a member of this church, that is how you are, then you are in a backslidden condition, and you need to be repent, and you need to be revived tonight. Do not just sit in a pew there thinking that, I think I'm good enough. I'll tell you something. In my Christian life, I noticed that the closer I got to the Lord Jesus Christ, the more I saw how sinful I was. The more I saw how weak I was. The more I saw the need that existed within me for the Lord Jesus Christ. And if tonight you can feel about yourself that you are good enough, something is wrong with you. Something is wrong with you. For none of us, none of us are good enough to come in the presence of God. None of us. Beloved brethren, I would say to you tonight that there is a backsliding in our pews. And sometimes we come and we sit in church and to everyone we appear normal. But deep within us, we know that we are backslidden. If you are saved... And you are in a backslidden condition. Bear in mind, there are two things that's going to happen to you. God is going to correct you with chastisement. And you will never be at peace until you get things right. You'll never be at peace. So there is a backsliding today that we find amongst our people in churches. And while you may think that it's not noticeable by by your peers here, God knows everything about you. God knows everything about me. And he knows. He knows when we are thinking evil. You know, one of the worst things that is happening in our world today, in this world of technology, is a lot of Christians are so much involved today in pornography. You open your computers and you get on your pornographic site. Let me tell you something. Somebody's watching over your shoulder. God is watching over your shoulder. And don't think that you can do these things and not, not be held accountable for it. Beloved, there is also backsliding, not only in our pews, but in our pulpits too. It is a departure from the simplicity of the gospel. Today, many preachers of today, they are proclaiming a gospel that places man as a self-sufficient being that is dependent on no one, sometimes not even God, especially in the man of salvation, with that false teaching that is permeating Christianity today. The false teaching of free will. They reject plain Bible teachings of the real condition of man. The Bible tells us that mankind is dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2.1. John 3.19 tells us that, that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. We find in John 5.40, Jesus says, And you will not come after me that you would have life. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, it tells us that the natural man does not understand the things of God. That he is a slave to his nature. He is a father, his father is a devil and the lust of his father's will they will fulfill. We know that 
the Bible teaches the real condition of man. Yet today we find a backsliding from many, many pulpits and even now in some of our sovereign grace Baptist churches now, we find that a lot of them are moving away from truth. The lie of free will makes man a god unto himself. For it infers that man is in complete control of his own destiny. And that is a lie from the pits of hell. Lots of preachers today are preaching that from their pulpits. Backsliding from the pulpit is revealed in the preachers moving away from the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. They're moving onto fables, preaching another Jesus. They're preaching another gospel through another spirit. They are preaching a Jesus who today is depending upon you. He is sitting there and waiting and pleading with you to be saved. That is not the Jesus that I know, beloved. That is backsliding from the pulpit. And a lot of our brethren, a lot of people today, people who name the name of Christ, they are finding themselves like that. Another way you find that they are backsliding from the pulpit is there is a failure to seek the Holy Spirit guidance in studying the word. Today you'll find a lots of preachers, and I'm not knocking education now, but lots of preachers are spending more time in the writings of this author and that author and the other author rather than the word of God. And they keep quoting John MacArthur and they're quoting this one and the other one and the other one instead of quoting, Thus saith the Lord. We have moved away. We have moved away from the Bible. And I'm not saying that I'm better than anyone, but you know my textbook has always been my Bible. As a matter of fact, I don't have a library any longer. I have a small library in my computer now. But I gave away all my books. When the last church that I planted, I gave them my whole library. So we find that preachers today, there's a failure to seek God's Holy Spirit and spend more time in studying other men's writing. And I know that sometimes we do have to study other men's writing. I'm not knocking education, don't get me wrong. Education is important and it's good to read what other men write. But thus said the Lord should be our final authority for it is our final authority. And one of the things I find that is happening in our churches today again from the pulpit is that there are preachers who are turning the eyes of the people upon the preacher rather than on the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you have noticed that in churches? That people talk more about their pastor than they talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you all noticed that? Sometimes we find, this is one of the things you find, especially in the charismatic churches, that uh, they call people forward so that they can lay their hands on them. That is using psychology on a, on a congregation. That is a part of crowd control. When I, they, they all, from the moment I lay my hand on someone, there is an automatic belief that there is something better about me than that person. I, I just don't believe that we ought to turn the eyes of our congregation upon us rather than the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things I've learned as a young preacher, several years ago, of course, that was, whenever I'm preaching, not to preach to you, but to preach the we. 
Not to say on you people, but to say us. Because I am no better than you. I am what the grace of God has brought me to be. And so are you. But it is important that we turn the eyes of the people upon the Lord Jesus Christ rather than upon ourselves. John said he must increase, but I must decrease. So backsliding we find, it is a moving away from that point of spirituality unto a lesser, a lesser point of spirituality. It is common in the pews and it is common in the pulpit also. Secondly, let us look at the results of backsliding on a personal basis. We find that when we are in a, a notice, I want for you to look carefully and see if this is talking about you. On a personal basis, we find that commitment to God is then neglected and it results in a failure of personal growth. I want you to look into yourself tonight. Where are you today spirituality, uh, spiritually compared to six months ago? What is your, on a scale, let's say a scale of six to ten, uh, one to ten. Check your spirituality now in comparison to six months ago and see where you are now. When you are in a backslidden condition, your commitment to God is neglected, it results in a failure for personal growth through failing to study the word of God. Bible study is very important. Read your Bible. Pray every day. These things are very important. When you're backslidden, you don't want to read your Bible. You don't want to pray. Remember what James says? The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, it avails much. It is important for us to understand. When you are backslidden, you fail to study God's word. You fail to pray effectively. This results in a weakened faith and even sometimes in a destroyed testimony. Because when your feet is weak, listen, Satan is like a roaring lion. He's roaming to and fro and he's seeking whom he may devour. Satan is real. Don't think he's a figment of our imagination or something somebody thought up and wrote about. On a personal basis, when you are backslidden, listen, you are open. You are open season for Satan. The devil's real, people. And I know in America here, many of you have never seen a demon-possessed person. But the devil is real. I have spoken to demons already. They are real. And when you are backslidden, you are going to know. You are going to know. Collectively as a church, when you're backslidden, the progress and the peacefulness of the church is hindered. How? Through a lack of presence at church. When you're backslidden, you're not too concerned about being in church. And thereby you hinder the spiritual progress of the church as this body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every pastor look for their members when the doors of the church are open. Every pastor. We miss our people. When you're not there, we miss them. And we know subconsciously every one of you where you sit. And when that Sunday morning comes or Sunday night or Wednesday night, we watch for you there. We watch for you. As a church, when a church is in a backslidden condition, the entire progress of this church, 
the peacefulness of the church is hindered through a lack of presence at church. Thereby, we find that the, they hinder the spiritual progress of the church through failure to pay tithes and offerings, thereby hindering the material and financial comfort that the Lord intends for His church. And one of the most important things of the church, I would say the most important purpose for the church existing is to take out that great commission, witnessing how many of you members of this church, how many of you as members of this church have said something about Jesus today to someone. Every day, God would providentially allow us to come into contact with people. Every day. We were sitting by ourselves this morning drinking coffee there. And I watched that lady when she came in. She sat down there and she prayed before she was going to eat. And I thought to myself, she seems to be a devoted Christian. And she heard both of us talking and she came across to us and we started talking. It is important. God opened doors God opened doors so that you and I as his children, as members of our Lord's churches, we are to be used of the Lord to tell people, when you are in a backslidden condition, you sometimes are ashamed to talk about God. You know that? A lot of Christians are ashamed to talk about God because they are in a backslidden condition. They don't want their friends to know that they are Christians. Young people, let me tell you something. Nothing is wrong with letting your friend know that you are a Christian. You stand up when you have to eat your food in the presence of your friends. Show them that you trust your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Say your grace before meal. Nothing is wrong with that. Nothing is wrong with that. So we find that one of the most important things, the church is hindered. When there are backslidden Christians in the church, and the church collectively might be in a backslidden condition at times, the growth of the church is hindered. The physical growth of the church is hindered. And that is in direct disobedience to Jesus saying to his church, Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Beloved brethren, the church, when you are in a backslidden condition, there will be a loss of testimony. As a powerful battalion in the army of the Lord, people would say about that church, you know, they used to be. They used to be. And that is a poor, poor testimony. Today we were talking our church that had over 500 members. And the last time my brother said he went there, there were about 75. Listen, when you are only concerned about your Christianity, that is not what Christianity is about, you know. Christianity is about telling others about the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw that woman at the... I mean, we can find examples upon examples upon examples. There was a little girl, a little girl from Israel who was taken captive. And when they heard, she heard about Naaman, and she heard about his leprosy, that little girl said, Would to God, would to God my master would go to Israel, for there's a prophet there who can help him. 
The little insignificant girl. Never ever think that you are too insignificant to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. God would take the, the little things of this world and use it for His own and His glory. If you're in a backslidden condition, I want for you to understand that. Recognize the state that you're in. When was the last time you witnessed to someone? Do something about it. We find that Thirdly, the Bible shows us that God says, He says, listen, I will heal your backsliding. The inference is that it is an existing situation. And that situation will be revealed if we are backslidden. It will be revealed in our personal conduct and our attitude towards spiritual things. It will be revealed through our cool acceptance of these modern teachings and practices that have no scriptural support actually. God is saying unto you tonight, I will heal your backsliding. This is a promise that God has made in his word here. And if tonight you can see that you are in a backsliding condition, do not, do not relax about it. God says, I will heal it. I will heal that backsliding condition. And he says, I will love them freely. I was reading what Spurgeon wrote about this. Spurgeon says, the sense hinges upon the word freely. He says, this is the glorious, the suitable, the divine way by which love streams from heaven to earth. A spontaneous love flowing forth to those who neither deserved it, purchased it, nor sought after it. It is indeed the only way in which God can love such as we are. Spurgeon continues, he says, the text is a death blow to all sorts of fitness. I will love them freely. Hallelujah. Now if there were any fitness necessary in us, then he would not love us freely. At least this would be a mitigation and a drawback to the freeness of it. But it stands, I will love you freely. God's anger is turned away in support of him saying, I will love you freely. His anger is turned away from us. What a God we serve. Who even in our most despicable moments, he says, he says, I will heal your backsliding. I will love them freely for my anger is turned away from him. In contrast to the loving promise to heal, God says, though, if you tonight are backslidden and you refuse to do anything about it, God says in the last verse of that chapter, he said, but the transgressors shall fall therein. Again, reading what Adam Clark had to say about this, Adam Clark says of this, he says, howsoever good they might have been before, if they do not consider the necessity of depending upon God, of receiving all their light, their life, their power, and love from him, ever evidencing that faith which worketh by love, maintaining an obedient conduct, and having respect to all God's precept, they shall fall even in the way of righteousness, when still using the divine ordinances and associated with God's people, they shall perish from the way. Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. I've heard it said that you can go into a garage that doesn't make you a car. 
Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian, beloved brethren. It is because you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. You believed in Him as the one who died instead of you. It is because of that, when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that is when you became a Christian. But becoming a Christian was not all to it. From the moment you became a Christian, responsibilities were laid upon you as a child of the King. Do you know those responsibilities? How faithful are you to those responsibilities? If you're not faithful, then you need to get things right. You need to commit yourself to God. Listen, beloved, it is important for you not just to say that you're a Christian, but to be a Christian. A parrot can say, I'm a Christian. That does make the parrot a Christian. But the testimony that you, that you carry about with you, the way you walk amongst your peers, that is what would show that you are a child of God. And you would have nothing to be ashamed about. I want to encourage you tonight. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Live for Him. Live for Jesus. There's no better life to live than the life for Jesus. May God bless you. And I hope by God's grace that somehow tonight your thoughts will be centered upon this, that you get things right. If you're not right, get it right. Come to Jesus Christ. Surrender yourself to him. Sing as you sing. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. Mean it tonight. Mean it tonight. God bless you, brother.